Kienes to Padre. City Field was rocking over the weekend as the Mets took two of three from the Padres. We'll break down what Luis Rojas was thinking on Sunday, the bullpen situation, and the four-game set ahead against the Cubs. Our special guest this week is longtime former Mets athletic trainer. Say sorry right now, Mets fans. That's Ray Ramirez. So have some fresh city-filled popcorn and join us on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh. Welcome to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here, Nelson Figueroa there. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy NY. There is no trumpet uh, near my mouth on, on this episode of the show. The trumpets have been Oof. given back to the owner. Shout out to Chelsea for the uh, trumpets that we're queuing up on Friday. Uh, joining us later in the show, Figgy, we have an incredible interview with former Mets head athletic trainer who a lot of Mets fans need to apologize to, and we will allow him to speak. We will apologize to him, and that's Ray Ramirez. So, yeah, a lot of booze he heard, and he's like a calm guy, like sweet, like he must use that calm app to sleep. Like he, he <laughs> seems so calm, and like nothing's bothering him. He said he didn't read the papers, not on social media, so he didn't hear. I mean, he heard your booze, and he heard people talk about it, but he wasn't reading tweets that were mean to him. But it's time to apologize to him, as you see all these Mets on the IL. It was not Ray Ramirez's fault. I might have been dumb and. You know, dumb fan me, you know, yelled at him over a tweet or something years ago. So I apologize to Ray Ramirez. So <laughs> uh, stay tuned for that. But the current Mets figgy, and again, amazing but true pod at gmail.com if you want to email us your thoughts or leave a voicemail, 845 391 3660. Two out of three over the Padres. You'll take it over the weekend. It was fun. It was nice to see the team win a series against. A very good team, but so good to see fans back. And Friday night, Figgy, was electric atmosphere there. I mean, it felt like a playoff game. 27,000 felt like a lot more than that. And I think everyone was just relieved to be back. More food open. People at the ballpark. Jacob DeGrom on the hill. And we'll get to that in a second. But let's start with Sunday. Because I think a lot of Mets fans, including me, were frustrated with how Luis Rojas Handled the bullpen, handled pulling Lucchese, leaving out Familia for 40 pitches, which you never see him throw that many. So what was your thoughts? Let's start with this. What did you think of how Rojas handled that whole situation and pulling uh, Lucchese after five and leaving in Familia for at least one or two batters too long? You know, Lucchese is one of those guys that he has success and it's usually two times through the lineup. The third time through the lineup, the numbers are astronomical, but there's no way to change that if they'll never give you the opportunity. I've said that time and time again. If you only face 10 batters, you know, third time through the lineup and you give up three hits, well, they're batting 300. If it's four batters, it's 400. If it was only two, it'd be 200. Then you'd be like, oh, okay, one less hit in those 10 batters, then great, we'll let them keep pitching. It doesn't make a lot of sense if, again, you haven't allowed him to do it. And when the difference between early on in the season and the difference between now, Casey seems to have really found himself and changed up a little things. He's not so violent with his pre-pitch mechanics the way that he's very deceptive with his mechanics he's moving all over the place 
that's something that he's done and he's done it to a fault where it kind of buys him mistake room when he does make a, a bad pitch. We saw him make bad pitches and, you know, steamroll by giving up three, four, five runs in the inning, even with two outs against St. Louis not too long ago. So you could understand why a manager would be quick you know, on the button when you get a good outing out of him. It's like, okay, this is the best we're going to get out of him. We don't want it to get worse. Let's pull him. Bullpen management, of course, then comes into play. And managing the bullpen is one of the most difficult things to do for any manager. And you've got to mix and match uh, if you have that ability. If you are if you have lights out, if you have three closers in your bullpen, <clears throat> Yankees, then it makes it easy to bring in a former, you know, 30-game close save uh, guy in every situation. You're fine with it. But the Mets don't have that, right? So what you're looking to do is get the max out of the guys that you can trust. You can trust Familia for the first 20 pitches. After that, things start to go awry. And when you're 40 pitches deep, and he's pitched probably three of the last four games. I know there's been some off days, but still, you could see him. He was kind of like a, a, a boxer that's on the ropes, you know, and he's running around and not fighting so much in the middle of the, of the boxing ring. He was done. He was gassed. And then to bring in Barnes, man. The human white flag is Jacob Barnes. And Sean Reed Vafoli's probably coming up today and hopefully is for Barnes. But that literally made no sense. And I know they said Castro had a stiff neck from sleeping. Can relate. Happened to me the other day. <laughs> that's, that's the most human relatable thing ever. A stiff neck from sleeping. But nay, someone else. I mean, Barnes, bro, what is he doing there? Yeah, I, I would have I would expected it to be May, but I think at that point in the game you're still trying to get, you know, further down the line and you're planning for the game to be two two and get further down the line and it wasn't it didn't get there. That's where you kinda have to bring in that stopper, no matter who it is, a guy that can go out there. And man, you know what? I watched it several hundred times because I'm wondering why Barnes in there. The pitches weren't necessarily terrible pitches. If you look, the slider was going right where the glove was. Tatis is fully extended, reaching out on his heels. So it wasn't like it was a, oh my God, it's in the middle of the uh, strike zone. But Tatis still lays into it, hits a But he's a terrible pitcher. Side. I don't care if the pitchers were terrible. Wait, 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 Barnes wait. is a terrible pitcher. Machado's pitch was below the zone. He's almost down on one knee when he's swinging, and he hits a home run as well. So while there is some bad luck in there, I would rather see somebody who is supposed to be in that situation, who's supposed to be in a bases-loaded jam and get you out of it. So a Trevor May, I know Castro was hurt. I mean, Edwin Diaz even, if you're trying to freaking just go right out, go for the jugular, and you're trying to sweep the Padres. But I think that's what happens. You figure, you also look at, we won two out of three. How can I get out of this without blowing my bullpen for the next series because you have to prepare for what's coming up as well. So there's a lot of things that go into it that we're not privy to and knowing some of that information and, you know, Castro sleeping wrong and all that stuff. But I think I, I got to feel there's a better option than Barnes in that situation to try and get the best young hitter in all of baseball. I'd rather have Matt Barnes than Jacob Barnes and he plays <laughs> another sport. I mean, come on, give me a Matt Barnes. Ephus is 50 miles an hour over Jacob Barnes fastball right over the place. I mean, Jacob Barnes has given up 13 runs in 18 and two thirds. And that's being kind because, you know, he gave up more, but they weren't charged to him, especially right. yesterday. I mean, there's somebody were, else's, hey, mm -hmm. there's somebody else's work, but like, I know they count towards that guy, but I'm going to half count them to Barnes because he's the one who gave up, you know, two bombs. That is the human white flag, and it's just unacceptable for Luis Rojas. And, you know, Friday we got mad at it, but then the news came out that Jacob deGrom was hurt, and that was kind of the big news. Right flexor tendonitis. Do you know anything? Do you know what that means? When I first heard it, I had no idea what it meant and went straight to WebMD. Didn't like what I saw, 
But luckily we heard, you know, from him that he says he's fine, he's dealt with it, and that he'll probably pitch Wednesday against the Cubs. What do you know about right flexor tendonitis? And are you worried that these injuries keep compiling with DeGrom? He keeps battling them off and continuing to have more RBIs than earned runs this season that he's given up, which just he's doing everything. But are you worried with the the injuries? And tell me about right flexor tendonitis. Right flexor tendonitis comes from overusage of the flexor tendon. Makes sense, right? But what it is is that slider that he throws, the ungodly slider that he throws, the slider that makes people really question if they want to play Major League Baseball, it is one of a kind at 93, 94 miles an hour, down into lefties mostly. And it's just one of those pitches that you don't see every day as a, even as a Major League hitter. It's a lot of stress and strain. And so when he pitches in games, in certain games, in certain situations, and he has to throw a bunch of them in a row or has an uh, exorbitant amount of sliders thrown he's going to feel it all week long and it's you know the training staff the the strength and conditioning and he has to be honest with them so that they can treat it properly so that it doesn't linger and that's what happens with a tendonitis or a bursitis it's that you've been using it's not like he he can't uh not use his flexor tendon it's part of the arm that's important on creating spin on the ball and especially for that nasty slider so you may see game where he might not throw so many sliders because he's feeling the the strain on it and there may be games where he goes to another pitch a little bit more but for Jacob deGrom that's part of his bread and butter is that slider down and away to righties down and into lefties and you could see how much stress he puts on it and how good he is at doing it so it it was inevitable that he was going to deal with a little discomfort the great part is he went and played catch but I don't I don't buy that still. I don't buy that because you don't put the same amount of effort. You don't spin the ball the same. You can hold the ball and make it spin and it feels okay. But when you're trying to really crank those sliders and he won't be able to really feel that until game day when he's getting ready to take the actual game mount after warming up, will he really know if he can do it? He'll try it in the bullpen, but I don't think it's still going to be that same max effort type slider. Well, think it's a tough balance because you're like, you know, is he ready to pitch? Like, is he actually ready? Are you risking injury throwing him out there? Or do you put him on the IL where he says he's fine and just, just to give him rest? One of those IL trips where he's hurt but not that hurt. And do these starts, can you live with, I mean, you can, you're in first place right now. You don't need him for the next 10 days. Do you just give him the 10 days to give him the 10 days to be safe? Or do you throw him out there and just believe that he's ready? Because, you know, he's the ultimate competitor. He's going to say he's fine, he's fine. But could a flexor tendonitis lead to, you know, something worse that makes him out for the season? Because the worst thing, worst possible situation is he goes out Wednesday, he gets hurt and ends up on the 60-day IL, and you might not have him for the rest of the year. Yeah, no, that that's something that they would definitely not do. If there's any concern, if, if they ask him, how's he feeling? If he takes a Garrett Cole amount of time to answer the question, <laughs> then they're going to IL him very quickly. But if he goes in there, and usually what a guy like Jacob DeGrom will do, he'll walk right into the training room and be like, hey, I'm fine. You know, I feel great. I, you know, I, I, I did whatever workout, whatever, whatever kind of thing that you, the torque that you can put on it. And there's arm exercises that you can do, wrist exercises you can do where you can feel that torque in your elbow or in your uh, flexor tendon. He's going to be honest. I think he's mature enough. To know, it's not like he's going to get sent down if he he doesn't feel good. It's not Nelson Figueroa here. It's Jacob Degrom. So it's it's. I think the Mets are also at this finally at the stage of where the Dodgers used to do it with Kershaw. Hey, you know, how's your temperature? Good. How's your back? Um, how's your L? Um, okay, we're going to put you on the 10-day IL because they're expecting to go into the postseason. They're going to need Kershaw. It's not like they need Kershaw 
in a June game on a Wednesday, not even going to be a packed house. So why put them out there? So I think the Mets are going to be very cautious with it regardless. Jake is always going to say he's fine, but he won't know. Honestly, he will not know until he has to really get on it. And it's not the same, man. It's not the same until you have that adrenaline. And it's even when your own team is standing in there and you're doing like a simulated to, you know, push it a little bit. It's not the same. It really isn't until game day. I like when you make fun of yourself. It's one of my favorite things. You know, I do it all the time to myself, so that's important. It's true. I also like when you say torque, because it sounds like Megan the Stallion is on the show, and we are torquing right now. And no, 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 torque, not torque. Uh, oh God! The, the way you're, you're, the way you're, if you say that ten times fast, it will be torque, 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 torque. That sounds like torque, bro. Figgy also <laughs> a performer. Issues <laughs> Friday night at Sapphires. Fine Figgy dropping low. Making, <laughs> Sapphires making it rain. That scores. Oh, uh, we got to give credit though. We got you know we got to make it rain on Joey Lucchese. Let's drop our dollar bills on Joey Lucchese because he's he's turned his ERA Figgy from ten point one three to five point one eight. That's a hard day night. I've been working all along. I just I screwed that up. But uh, the yeah. Beatles song. Deeper effort. Uh, hard days night. What is it? Hard days night. What is the yeah, Beatles hard song? Night. Hard days night um classic so he's been great but it's this luis rojas leaving starters in too short leaving relievers too long syndrome it's the longest name of a syndrome in the history of america it's frustrating because we see it over and over and the excuse and, and you said this last week was that oh we'll see this change come august september right now he's just playing it safe I think this is just Luis Rojas as a manager. I think it's going to be September, and there's going to be times this happens where he pulls him after five. He struck out the side in the fifth, and you could say, "Oh, he, you know, he hasn't been stretched out this season." Joey Lucchese was a starter for the Padres. He was not a reliever. He wasn't a long man. He's a starting pitcher. Joey Lucchese's a starting pitcher. Andy Pettit's a starting pitcher, and that's what he was. So that's why I don't understand. He just struck out the side. Why is he not out for the six? And why is he not out again for the seventh? Stop babying this, guys. That's his job. Leave him out there. So I know we've we've hit on this a lot, but you know you're taxing your bullpen to the point where you're using guys back to back. He's had back to back to back days. He couldn't use Diaz. Castro had the injury. He said he didn't want May in there because his spot was due up in the lineup, and he didn't want to waste him for one or two outs. May has not pitched in a week. He hasn't pitched since last Sunday, and we know he loves to pull Diaz out there in a non-save if he hasn't pitched in a week. I don't know why May just didn't even see the field. I thought it was a bad excuse. Didn't make much sense. And then even using Lugo Saturday, I didn't think was a need. You could have had him for Sunday knowing you had Luke Casey going. So there's a lot of layers and onions to this to peel with Luis Rojas, but we're not seeing a change. And and listen, the Mets are in first. They won the series. Figgy all is gravy here. I'm not that mad about it, but it's a continuous thing that, you know, you're not going to win a championship if your starters are going four to five innings and you're not putting confidence, instilling confidence into them, Figgy, to let them go deeper into games. Yeah, when you see Lucchese's answer, is like, you know, I respect management. It's what management want to do, but I was fine. It's the new baseball. It's very tough because you're training to go nine. You're training to at least go seven. And especially when you're in command and and you're in such command. But you got to remember, right? So in that game, what did you have? You had, it was one nothing game at the time after his fifth, after he's done with the fifth inning. One nothing game, the Mets strike back and get two in the bottom of the fifth inning, right? Peraza hits the home run. By that time, you kind of already, he thought, ah, I'm going to pinch hit for him, take him out, whatever it may be. The kind of decisions already been made. And I think a lot of the decisions, especially when it comes to guys like Lucchese's, they are going based off these numbers, this, these stats and these probability factors of 
if we leave him in again, third time through the lineup, we're going to get this. And I know we keep talking about it and, and, and there's no other way to change it, but you have to kind of get the confidence of the manager. They're trying to win the ball game. It's one nothing. If the Mets had scored five runs and it was five to one at the time, Lucchese's still in there. Throw the numbers out. Enough of these damn. He, he's too analytical. Is the problem? And a lot of I know it's today's game. You're gonna say everyone's game. doing it, but like you don't have an off day, Figgy, until Thursday, June 24th, and that almost doesn't count because you have the doubleheader against the Phillies the next day. So. You almost are putting your team in such a bad spot, and you have a doubleheader coming up this Saturday against the Nationals, where your bullpen is so taxed. I know Reed Foley's going to come up here, and they're going to get a body at least, but you have to look ahead in the schedule and realize that your bullpen is about to get overworked like no other. You cannot be going by the book when you got to look at the days ahead, and these guys have no days off. As we look ahead, four games against the Cubs, Viggy, you start with David Peterson, and this is a monumental outing for David Peterson. Against the Cubs team that's won five straight, they're tied for first place. They have been remarkable. A lot of people thought they might take a step back. Nope, the Cubs have not taken a step back. They're having a good year. Chris Bryant has been great. I know he was a target for the Mets to trade. I don't think the Cubs are even thinking about trading him at this point unless they got a top prospect for him even though it'd be a rental with how good they're playing because they're a world series contender so this is another test for the mets the test one it took two out of three from san diego a couple of managerial moves and listen the mets bats didn't do themselves any favors on sunday either they didn't hit you know you're getting a homer from paraza i mean you got to do more you got to drive guys in good thing is they got luis guillorme back over the weekend he hit a few times so nice to see him back mcneil is rehabbing in rehab games, he should be back this weekend. His bobblehead, aka Tom Brady bobblehead, was given out over the weekend. I mean, I've never, I mean, it looked exactly like Tom Brady, not Jeff McNeil. So I got one of those now. Um, and they gave away a towel Sunday, Mr. and Mrs. Metal. The material on this towel, and if you were there, you will know. It was a large mouse pad, and I don't know if people use mouse pads anymore. It was not a towel because I was trying to wipe my sweat with it, and I was like, this is a mouse pad. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll hang this on the wall next to a picture of uh, Biggie and, uh, and me and Figgy up there uh, above doing the podcast. So, you know, this is a big test coming up, and Monday it'll be Peterson, and Figgy, it could be Peterson's final start for a while. He might be sent to the minors if he gets rocked. So if he, and, who you, and who they're going to call up. Well, I, Reed, honestly, Reed Foley's going to replace him. I, Reed, Reed Foley's coming up. So he would probably replace him in the rotation. Uh, yeah, as Reed Foley as the uh, opener, because he can't go five. He could go four, though, which is basically mm. what everyone else is going these days. Yeah, I that, mean, that is that is the going rate these days. I mean, I, I saw Peterson is, you know, one of the leaders in fewest amount of innings pitched this season per start. That's a, a major concern because I still am adamant that he's tipping. I, I don't want to see Reed Foley starting. I'm sorry. You're going to have to see that stance and move 80 times a game now. No, thank you. Well, you want to make a trade for someone? I don't know who will the other. I mean, Lugo. Do you start Lugo? I know they do, They are trying. They're against don't that. Don't want to start Lugo. Maybe that's where Trevor May is. Maybe Trevor May is, you know, throwing sides every day trying to build up so he can be a starter. I don't know. It's seeming to get thin very quickly. And as soon as you lose a guy or two. So, Castro has the, the neck issue, and you hope it's nothing more than that. And he just slept wrong. It wasn't from the grand slam leave, or from the home run leaving so quickly. Then you have Familia being extended and having to throw 40 pitches. You don't want to get him injured. There's a lot, man, when it comes to these relievers who, you know what, they're ready every day, and they say they're ready every day. But being used this amount of time and not relying on your horses, the, there's a reason why – the four to five starters are 
the guys that you choose. It's because they have the stamina. They have the ability. They train to do and go longer. Sometimes you got to throw the book out the window, man. You got to throw these numbers out and, and let the, let these guys play because it's a different thing when you're winning and you have confidence and you have defense and you're able to, you know, pitch to contact a little bit more, not try to strike people out. Like the when we had the five aces, everything was a strikeout. If you didn't get a strikeout, it was, you know, you didn't have a 10 strikeout performance. You weren't one of the five aces. You weren't good enough to be called one of the five aces. But you you saw the cream rise to the top because you have to be able to be economical with your pitching. You can't just go for the strikeout every time. A one pitch out is your best friend. Throwing a, a first pitch breaking ball, first pitch slider down and away, let the guy hit it into the defense, especially with the shift. Now that the Mets shift as much as anybody in baseball because they are more athletic than I think they've ever been. Take advantage of that, man. You got to take advantage of that as a pitcher. You can't go out there just, you know, seven, eight pitch at bats, every guy first time through the lineup, you know, and you, you get done with the, the line for the first time. You're you're in the third inning with 70, 80 pitches, but that's the new baseball. You figure while you're in there, you might as well try and strike out 10 and you know, knock your ERA down because if you give up one run, two runs, you give up two runs in only five innings, your ERA is inflated. How do you say let them play in Spanish? Dejalo jugar. De la jalo lo lo. De la jalo jugar. De la jalo jugar. De la jalo jugar. Peter Lugar. <laughs> that was Told my you, favorite. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa, amazing but true. And shout out to this Marcus Stroman. He was great Saturday. My big, fat, bald head with New York Post Sports Podcast on the back was in the video of Marcus Stroman's girlfriend on her Instagram story. You could see me, like, rocking around like a penguin back and forth. My goodness. It was yeah. not not the most flattering shot of my the back of my fat head. You could swipe a credit card on my jelly roll neck. Oh, my goodness. You, could, you never you, saw that, huh? You, yeah, you got you to make, make a purchase? Use my neck. Slide here. It's it's. You know, <laughs> Card only. Use my neck as a confirmation. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I made her video. But you know, it was uh, nice to see him pitch great. And you know, I love when pitchers salute the fans. I know Stroman always does, but like when they they give a round of applause to the fans, and I think the players felt that energy this weekend, especially. I mean, Friday. I mean, it was just absolutely insane. And master off. Everyone's out. I mean, center field concourse packed. So Figgy, I know you might try and go this weekend. It'll be a good series because there'll be a lot of Cubs fans because we know Cubs fans travel. So you'll see Peterson, you'll see Walker, you'll hopefully still see DeGrom on Wednesday, and you'll see Stroman Thursday. So, you know, outside of Peterson, those big four have been great. I mean, Lucchese's been great. Stroman, great. Walker, great. DeGrom, great. So looking forward to four against the Cubs. We're also looking forward to an interview coming up here on Amazing But True with former Mets head athletic trainer. Say sorry right now. Give your apologies, Mets fans, to Ray Ramirez. He joins us next on Amazing But True. Joining us now on Amazing But True is the former Mets head athletic trainer from 2004 to 2017. He was once in the minor leagues with the Mets as their trainer in the 80s, was with the Twins, the Texas Rangers. He's the first Puerto Rican trainer in baseball history, and now he is over in South Korea, 13 hours ahead of us here in New York, working for the Air Force as an athletic trainer where he trains pilots. Let's welcome to Amazing But True, Ray Ramirez. Ray, welcome to the show. I got to say, I think a lot of Mets fans and listeners are, you know, they want to hear from you right now. They have not heard from you in a while, and they're excited to hear from you. So what are you up to uh, in South Korea? 
I'm treating F-16 pilots. The uh, military has uh, implemented a program to uh, do preventive care for pilots. I'm one of the people here, and I'm honored to do that, helping the people that serve and you know, protect us. Started your career with the New York Mets back in 1980. What was it? 1983. Right out of college, right? Correct. And down in the minor leagues, and then you get an opportunity to go to some other organizations. You were an assistant trainer with the Texas Rangers up until you got the head athletic trainer job, right? Correct. I was with the Texas Rangers as the assistant trainer from 1992 through 2004. And so you've seen a lot of injuries throughout that whole time. You've had teams where you've had, I mean, literally the half to almost the whole team on the disabled list back then. Now it's the IL. This year's team has had 18, 18 members of their team early on this season on the IL. What was the most you've ever seen? Probably 18. After a while, you lose count because it seems like the entire team. It doesn't really matter if you're winning, but if you're not winning, it matters. It's a big deal. Yeah, 2009. 2009. It seemed like we had really high numbers the year of the uh, World Baseball Classics. We always had a lot of participants in the Classic. They came back and they paid for it. And your name is coming up a lot this year because of the injuries and everyone's like, oh, look, now we need to say, our you know, Mets fans need to apologize to Ray Ramirez. They got to say, I think a lot of people blamed you for injuries in the past and you're not the guy getting hurt. These guys are the ones getting hurt. And now everyone's like, oh, wait, maybe it wasn't on Ray Ramirez that there were injuries uh, when he was the trainer because now look at the team. There are 18 guys on the IL. Well, I'm, I'm surprised they would still be mentioning my name but it's not the trainer's fault guys it's everybody knows it's not well most people know it's not the trainer's fault I know that the fans get frustrated because they want to see the stars healthy playing producing and have the team win and succeed but the trainer is doing everything in his power everything in the staff's power to get the players on the field as quick as possible so that they can do what they do best you're just the guy running on the field so the fans have that perception of the guy that's carrying the player off the field as being the bad guy <laughs> that's true you get used to it you don't like it but you get used to it what are you going to do you know as long as the players, the organization, your closest friends and family know what you're doing and what you're about. Nothing else matters. You know, I respect the fans, but they don't always have firsthand information. You know, they're acting on frustration. I don't think that they have anything against Ray Ramirez or any particular trainer. They're just frustrated and they're venting. You know, they pay good money to go out and watch a game and they want to see the players produce. They just take it out on the trainer. So I, I never took any of that stuff personal, but they need to to know it's not the trainer's fault did you hear the noise did you hear people did you see the headline people that would mention your name and stuff like that or like i mean you're not on twitter but you know twitter's a crazy place i mean people behind the keyboard get wild but did you hear the noise that was surrounding when there were injuries when you were there i never paid attention to social media most of our managers wanted the papers out of the clubhouse don't read the paper and i never read the paper there but i heard the noise you know i heard the booze and some friends you know i went to college in new york hofster right I went to Hofstra and I did. I went to Hofstra. Let's go. Oh, great. And then I did my master's at LIU. A friend, a few friends would text me once in a while. Hey, you know, they're talking smack about you or this and the other. I'm like, hey, pay no mind to it. You know, we got no control over that. They don't really know. When they don't know, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, you're basically the guy who's down in the trenches who gets to, you know, put a face 
to, oh my God, he's out there. <laughs> Somebody's got to be hurt. They're coming out the game. It's got to be this guy. Because every time he comes out, he's got to pull somebody off the field. You're like the last line of defense. You're the guy who keeps us, you're the maintenance guy who keeps us healthy and gets us back to full health so that we can go out on the field. But there are so many other people that are involved in the process of keeping and maintaining major league players and their health. Tell us about the different layers that there are. Okay, so the structure, the way our medical structure at least when I was there, and I believe that for most organizations, you have your medical director, which in our case was Dr. David Alchek, world-renowned surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery. And then he has a team of other doctors that also supported us, a team of consultants, okay, that were there on a daily basis. My schedule consisted of going to the hospital in the mornings. So I would go to the hospital in the mornings to take injured players or players that needed, you know, casual checkups. A lot of times doctors want to see these athletes before their normal schedule starts. I lived out in Seacliff. So I would get up, you know, you know how the LIE gets in the morning. I would have to get up and leave. If I didn't leave by six, I wouldn't make it. So I had to leave by six, even if I had to wait around till eight at the hospital for them to see the players and then, you know, get an MRI or you know, consultation. And then if I'm done at, let's say, 10, 11 o'clock, well, I wasn't going to go back home. I go to the stadium. And then our day, typically, when I say our day, I'm talking about the medical staff, which was another athletic trainer, strength and conditioning coach, massage therapist, mental skills guy. We would meet at 1.30 to discuss not only the health and status of our 25 but everybody in the minor leagues, and then the players would start rolling in for treatment. And then, you know, the routine, you know, you do the, the pre-BP routine for players, you go out and cover a batting practice, you come back in post-game treatments, you know, and then I would eat or work out, leave by midnight, get home and, you know, wake up at six, go back to the hospital. And it didn't bother me a bit. I mean, it didn't bother me a bit. I'm a person that doesn't really sleep a lot. So it didn't bother me. But that's a routine. I mean, we breathe, sleep, ate. Everything was all about player health. No decision is made unilaterally. You know, we met the general manager every day. We met with our doctors. We consulted with the physical therapists of the guys that were rehabbing, whether it was in Port St. Lucie or elsewhere. This constant communication going on. The role of the head trainer, at least while I was there, was to oversee all of that. So you've got a lot of fires to put out. So you don't have time to worry about the fans or what the paper says or what Twitter says or anything like that. Come on, it had to make you laugh though. Opening day and you're getting booed. You haven't even done anything yet. <laughs> well, I knew, we knew that I was going to get booed. And the thing is that I'm always the first, I was always the first one being called out there, you know? And I think <laughs> One time, Jay would kind of switch the order, have somebody to hide order, you. Make, <laughs> the next guy really quick. It is what it is. Yeah, it was like Aaron. I mean, you were there, and Aaron Hallman got booed on opening day after uh, 2006. Did that that didn't you just brush it off when you get booed like that? I mean, what are you gonna do? You know, I mean, it's you know, I don't want to insult anybody, throw shade at anybody, but you know, it's it's ignorance. What can you do about ignorance? I remember when Gary Matthews Jr. first joined the club. You know, they were introducing the team, and I think they introduced Luis Castillo, and I think he hit like 300, and they were booing him. Uh, Gary Matthews was asking, "How much did he did he hit last year?" And he said, "309 or something like that." And we're like, "And this." Hey, poor Castillo. You know what I used to tell him all the time? I used to tap him on the back and I go, no, no, no. It's not boo. It's loo, loo. (laughs) And he would look at me and go, no, papi, it's booze. They're booze. (laughs) 
Luis Castillo, when he came over to us, he would jump in the whirlpool with Minnesota Twins shorts on. Ooh, that's a no-no. That's a, that's a fine in kangaroo court. Come on. Where are you coming from? <laughs> you went through a lot of different ma- – well, I guess not a lot, but you had – what did you have? You had Willie Randolph here, Jerry Manuel, and Terry Collins. Actually, only three, so I guess that's not a- – Yeah, I think like four before that. Yeah, and, and I love them all. They were all great, and, uh, you know, they, they all had their unique styles. What I loved about Willie was that – he was a proven champion. I remember before our first playoff game against the Dodgers in 2006, Pedro had been hurt and El Duque was slated to start the first game. And he went out and pulled a calf muscle. And everybody was like, oh, what are we going to do now? You know, this is the day before. And, you know, everybody's tense in the clubhouse. And Willie Randolph comes in and goes like, what? What's going on? He went, we got 25 people. We can do this. And he kind of played it in the whole thing. And, you know, and we, swept, we swept the Dodgers, you know. He was Full of confidence, you know, loved him. Same with the rest of the guys, you know, Jerry Manuel. Jerry Manuel always consulted the medical team on certain decisions. Terry made light of everything, man. Terry just found a way to laugh at whatever situation. Love him. Did you and Terry have, have you know, you both were gone at the same time. Did you have a party after uh, 2017? You guys had share any uh, martinis or something? The only time that I've talked to Terry after that was probably in January or February of 2018. I was in Spain cycling he called me he needed somebody's number like willie harris or something like that i know he's still he's still with the with the mets right as a consultant yes. or something yeah he still is i don't call anybody because i know how busy their routines are you don't want to be that guy that's kind of like tagging along or just you know they respect you know you know they care for you you know your friends but they've got a job to do it's very busy and as time goes on things get even busier and pile more responsibilities on so i don't want to be the guy interrupting their routines but i get along with all of them i have no animosity against anyone against the mets the Wilpons were awesome to me they were always supportive anything that we needed we got you know we were always on a first name basis you know jeff fred saul regardless of what you hear at least i can tell you that for as far as support for the medical staff, it was 100% present every time. And if somebody was sick, somebody somebody that uh, wasn't on the team, like a staff member, like a support staff, the first one to come to me and say, hey, make sure that he gets to the hospital. I'll take care of a bill if we got to take it was Jeff. They were great. All right. The check from the Wilpons just arrived for you, uh, for Greasy Crazy. <laughs> it's the truth. Before I went to the Mets, I was expecting, and I'm New York born. I went to school in, in New York. I had been to New York a lot of times with the Rangers. Every year that I was in the major leagues, I went to New York because being in the American League and then being you know, in the National League, I expected some type of animosity, some type of uh, you know trouble all the time. And I found nothing but support from most of the people all of the time. Do you miss Major League Baseball, the Mets? Do you miss being in New York or do you like it out there? Uh, uh, I like what I'm doing. You know, I've never been a, a person to kind of like, uh, I, I don't live in the past. I really loved my job. That was the best job that I had at the time. This is the best job I have right now. You know, I, and I don't want to compare apples and oranges because I want to focus on what I'm doing. A big part of my life, you know, some people say, hey, you know, a lot of people call me, hey, what are you going to do? You know, I'm worried about, you know, I said, hey, man, that's not the way I was raised. That's that. That's not my identity. That's what you know me. You know me as a Mets athletic trainer, but I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a neighbor. I do 
a lot of other things. You know, I'm a faithful man and, you know, this this is a blessing in a way. I may not recognize what the blessing is. And then later on, I was able to be there with my mom as she had total knee surgeries, you know, two years after the subsequent two years after I was done with the Mets. I've gotten a lot of phone calls, you know, opportunities, some in baseball, you know, right now, I like what I'm doing. What is the reason do you think for all the injuries? I mean, everyone talks about, I don't know if it's like guys are eating too healthy, not having enough meat, you know, their bones aren't as strong. I don't know what it is, but like, especially the Mets this year, and I feel like all around baseball, there's Tommy Johns, there's guys hamstring pulls the Mets have had hamstring injuries you know guys getting injured while rehabbing like J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo is there a reason behind it is it tough luck was it the COVID and the weird delay it's not new it's always happened it's just with social media it's magnified if I had the answer maybe I'd still be there you know Uh, (laughs) but I think like everybody else I would think about those things and in spring training I would say so we spend all of spring training playing day games when we normally play night games, when we take days off in spring training, we don't send the guy, let's say if we're in Port St. Lucie and we're going to Kissimmee to play the Astros when they were there. We don't have a guy make a two hour bus ride because it's too long, but he'll take 200 swings in the batting cage. Just things that didn't make sense to me, you know? It's like a game of tradition, and you you do the same thing over and over. But I don't have the answer. And it's, it's not criticism. It's just things that you would wonder about. You know, why do we do this? It's why you uh, we wonder you park in a driveway and you drive on a parkway. I get it. It makes the total sense, right? <laughs> But he's right. He's absolutely right because of the way that we've done things for years. It's just been routine, right? It's part of the routine. It's what the guys did before us. And when technology gets better and everybody trains a little bit different, even with all that being said, you said before about 2009, you believe that a lot of the injuries happened because of the WBC. And that means that you ramped up to play very quickly instead of the normal, you know, a month into it, you start playing games. We were playing it after two weeks. Right. So now you look at it the other way, though. These guys had so much time off because it was only a 60 game season and there seems to be more injuries than ever before. So there's that routine that just gets disrupted, whether it's too much or too little. There seems to be in baseball just the right amount. You know, I remember Dr. Alchek, you know, cleverly one time sat with us and said, you know, it seems like we've in baseball, we figured out the rest period for the pitcher, you know, five days for the starting pitcher. You know, he has a routine, but we haven't figured it out for the starters. So I remember Sandy Alderson would come down every day and meet with the staff. We came up with an arbitrary number. And I remember Brian Chicolo was the one kind of assigned to the project to keep the information Let's say, you know, you're going to have a day off every X amount of days. Each player is going to have a day off. And you gave him a day off, you know, regardless of how he felt, just to see if that extended, you know, his season without an interruption due to injury. It worked for some people. It didn't work for others. And, you know, sometimes somebody else gets hurt. you got to put the guy back in. It, it's tough to balance. I, I tell you a story, though. I remember one time that uh, it was in the old stadium. It was at Shea Stadium. Beltran said to me, you know, something was bothering him. I think his knee was bothering him. So we go to Jerry and says, Jerry, that's it. So we walk up the tunnel, walk up the stairs to the clubhouse. And when we get upstairs, you know, he takes his shirt off, throws it in the laundry basket, takes his pants off, takes a knee sleeve off and says, you know what? I think the knee sleeve is what was making my knee hurt. He moves around, says, I think I can play. Am I out of the game? So I run downstairs and I said, Jerry, is uh, Beltron still in the game? He says, he's on deck. So I run back upstairs and say, Beltron, you're on deck. He says, okay, puts his pants back on, went to get his shirt out of the the laundry basket, 
Shirt's not there. The black jerseys. So we look at Bernie, Dave Bernie, because I, mean, I tell you, I mean, when Charlie was the clubhouse manager and all the clubhouse managers, I mean, the clubhouse was run, I mean, great. Bernie, where's the shirt? It's in the washing machine. And so <laughs> it's the only black jersey and it's in the washing machine. And I guess towards the end of the series, I'm not really sure, but I guess, you know, they would auction some jerseys or sign some jerseys because you guys have a lot of jerseys, but there was no other black jersey. He's on deck, jerseys in the washing machine. Bernie forces the door open, grabs the shirt, rings it, puts it on, gives it to Carlos. Carlos is running down the tunnel because he's on deck with a dripping shirt, gets up there and gets a base hit. If I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. That's incredible. Oh, my goodness. Do you have any funny story of, like, a, a guy was hurt and they said something to you at the mound, like a guy's or a weird injury? I mean, you had to run out there to every guy that got hurt on the mound, but any any funny inter- interactions? You were there 14 years. It had to be something happened. I, I can tell you that R.A. Dickey and Matt Harvey, so what you're worried about is getting a, a, a line drive back to the pitcher, right, because he's the closest guy there. A lot of times these guys got hit or grazed, and you run out there because you can't really tell. They always denied it. But then I look at the video later, and they got smacked. The only thing about that you know, happened with the Rangers. I remember when Pudge was a catcher. He got hurt, and I go out there, and I'm trying to talk to him, and he's grabbing his knee, his right knee, grabbing his right knee, and I'm trying to find out what's going on. He's like, my knee hurts, my knee hurts. And he's grabbing his knee, and I'm like, well, can you take your hands off so I can look at you? And he said, it's the other one. (laughs) Well, Ray, I think uh, Mets fans all need to apologize to you for blaming you over the years. Do you have a final message that you'd like to put out there for the Mets? Because I know you don't, I I don't know if you do any interviews. I don't see you do a lot of interviews. So, you know, I think a lot of Mets fans want to hear from you. So the floor is yours here to close out the show. I guess to the fans, you know, thank for the support that you gave me for the fans that did support your trainers and your medical staff as much as you do the team. You know, they work just as hard as the players to do as good a job as the uh, as the players do you know they take a lot of pride in it they put a lot of hours in there you know it's a thankless job they treat not only players but they treat staff members and you know other support staff that comes around so their hands are full all the time we thank you we thank you that's for sure you know we made the world series with you there once we made uh, we were a carlos beltran base hit away from making another world series so i say that's a successful run hey, right with just, you there I, I got out of there alive <laughs> hey <laughs> pension, i got a world series ring i had a, a, an all-star appearance i got a lot more than what i expected when i got there in fact when i was with the uh rangers I was already fully vested, and I said, I'm going to the Mets. If I can be there five years, I'm done. I'm, I'm great. You know, I spent 13 years there, and, you know, and, and I, I do want to say that, you know, the staff that was there when I got there, Omar, Lenore, John Rico, Jim Duquette, were awesome. Tony Bernazard, they were awesome to me. When uh, I was let go by the Mets, I wasn't out of the clubhouse when Omar and Lenar had called me. Immediately, I went over to the Players Association. And, and and John Rico, he was like, he was awesome. He over he was the guy overseeing the medical department, always honest, always truthful, always, uh, you know, just supportive. When uh, I was, one thing I appreciate, I appreciate his honesty. The one thing that he said to me when I was let go, I, I stopped by his office, but he was busy with somebody else, but he called me later. And he said to me, Ray, we discussed this. You know, we made a decision. I supported the decision. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad that he's a man of his word and, you know, he's not hiding behind other things. And he said, when you get another job, he says, don't change. Just do what you do. Just be the same guy. 
You see, that that's one of the things you never hear. You know, just something that had to be done. Yeah. And, and John Rico, he, he's a good man, although we had different you know views of him because if I saw John Rico, that means I was going down. <laughs> I was getting sent down. I had to sign some paperwork and, uh, you know, I was on a frequent flyer mileage program with the Mets up and down so much. But yeah, those guys, I, I think you gave us a great insight into the behind the scenes and how much you guys have to work together as a unit. And even though it was your face that, you know, every time you came out there, there was so many levels below you and above you that were involved in those everyday decisions. And and I thank you for, you know, keeping me as healthy as possible. I was a low man on the totem pole and you made time for me as well. It wasn't just Santana on top of the table all the time. Actually, it was Santana on top of the table all the time, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, now that you mentioned that, and I appreciate you saying that, but when I got home, I, I left home immediately. I drove straight home, right, uh, to Texas. I got a call from uh, David right on the way saying, hey, thank you for everything. You know, don't think that, uh, you know, I'm sure that this decision wasn't made based on your performance or anything like that, right? Pete Matt's called me at home and apologized for getting hurt because that maybe contributed to their decision of letting me, like, hey, man, you know, this, what, what a gentleman, you know? that This has nothing to do with that. Classy guy. So, you know, I'm going to miss Jay. I'm going to miss Teresa and mom in the kitchen. I'm going to miss Brian, you know, small as a secretary, and, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the staff, everybody at HSS, including, you know, the support staff, the hospital. Ray Ramirez, Mets athletic trainer from 2004 to 2017, now in South Korea, working for the Air Force, training pilots and the pride of Hofstra University, where only greats come out like me and Ray Ramirez. Ray, so great to have you on Amazing But True. Uh, good luck in the uh, Air Force, and maybe we'll have a Ray Ramirez day at City Field. We'll honor you in 2022. Maybe I can do a flyover that? on one of those F-16s. That's <laughs> incredible. It's like the old days at Shave, the flyovers, except Ray Ramirez <laughs> is flying over. I mean, how about that? All right. Thanks, Ray. Thank you, guys. That says goodnight because Figgy won't let me say hasta la vista or any other language to episode 60. The Billy McKinney edition. That's right. The newest Met. Get well soon in that knee of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. He's been here five minutes. He already has his own episode. But thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Please subscribe to Amazing But True and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa. I'm Jake Brown. Yes, I am related to James Brown. That is my uncle. We'll be back on Thursday after the first three Mets games of the series against the Cubs. I'm a sex machine. Enjoy the games. See you at City. Oh, God. Let's go, Mets.